The following podcast is sponsored by StructureTech. I realized that I'm, I'm the worst offender. Like the, the intention of this was to talk about process, why we do things in the order we do them in. And I got on tons of tangents on what we do. We're, we're talking about why we do things in the order we do them in. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Structure Talk, a Structure Tech presentation. My name is Bill Ulrich, alongside Tessa Murray and Ruben Saltzman. As always, your three-legged stool coming to you from the Northland, talking all things houses, home inspections, and anything else we're thinking about on a given day. We're getting back to the process of inspecting a house, and we've spent two sessions already on this. We set it up in session one, basically what we're doing and kind of the the overview. Session two, we spent the entire time talking about the exterior uh, with a couple other caveats. And today we're going to go inside the house and we're going to kind of walk you through our interior process. And, you know, we, we did a little bit of uh, prep work before hitting record on this podcast. I realized that I'm, I'm the worst offender. Like the, the intention of this was to talk about process, why we do things in the order we do them in. And I got on tons of tangents on what we do and the specifics <laughs> of that. So I apologize. I'll try to stay on topic. I'll try to stay focused. Our, we're, we're talking about why we do things in the order we do them in. That's it. Can you really ever separate the what, the how, and the why? It just I, feels like they're I married. I guarantee we're going to get into some more what today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to put both of you on the spot right now. So Tessa, I'm going to start with you. So mm-hmm. Ruben, you, you'll have an extra second here to think. What specifically are you looking for when you walk inside a house? Like, Give me the five mm-hmm. low-hanging fruit types of things. categorize them or something, right? Like this is what I'm after. That's a great question. You know what? I I feel like when I walk into a house, I try to keep like an open mind because every house is different. And, and to be sharp as a home inspector, you have to be looking at things with kind of like this curiosity, like, what am I going to find today? But if I had to kind of boil it down, I'd say, you know, looking for Well, obviously we've got electrical systems, we've got plumbing systems, we've got structural systems, we've got ventilation and mechanicals, we've got, I'd say, environmental concerns too. So those are kind of the big things. But when you walk into a house, it's being perceptive to say, okay, I know I've got this process to follow. I know I've got these things that I'm looking for, right? And following the process helps me find these things. But it's like looking at things with with fresh eyes to be like, okay, what there's something unique going on here. I need to dig a little bit more. Does that make sense? Okay, I'll take that answer. Ruben? I, I don't know if I can do a top five bill, but I can tell you the biggest one that is more of something that I feel when I walk into a house is indoor air quality problems. Now we do not mm. do indoor air quality, IAQ. We don't do mm. IAQ inspections. When you got bad air, when you got a bad <laughs> environment inside the house, it can lead to so many other problems that get documented in our reports. And mm. so often I can walk into a home and I just feel that something's wrong. It might be you have a gas leak and you get an odor of natural gas. It might be improper venting of a water heater and you just get that little whiff 
that uh, of an order of backdrafting flue gases. It mm-hmm. might be you have a plumbing fixture that's not working right and you got sewer gas coming in your house. So all these are odors. It might be that you, the humidity is way too high. It's like you walk into a house and you can just mm-hmm. feel the change in humidity and you go, what the heck is going on here? And that, that can lead to destroyed windows, mold and frost in the mm-hmm. attic, frost and mold in closets. It might be basement water issues. I remember a house where I I walked in and it just punched me in the face. And I, instead of doing my traditional walkthrough, I just said, I'm going out of order today. And I went straight down to the basement Mm -hmm. and found sub slab ductwork. And I went right to one of those ducts and found standing water in there. And it was like, it it was the first thing I came across right when I got to the house, just because my spidey senses were going crazy. I had to figure that out. So I'd say the just kind of the atmosphere of the inside of the house is probably the first thing that home inspectors subconsciously get really attuned to. I, Ruben, I love that answer. I think that's what I was trying to say, but you articulated it much better. It's like- I had time while you were talking. I, was thinking. <laughs> you, I mean, you have to be, I think the bottom line is like, you have to be adaptable. We have this flow process at structure tech that we follow and it's step-by-step step through the house, but really is you walk in and you, you have to go with kind of your gut on how you, what you're perceiving or where your spidey sense takes you. Ruben likes to say. Yeah. My answer was going to be rot, water, structural concerns. And I really like the idea of indoor air quality. To me, you're trying to eliminate those from the conversation. And you look around and you're like, no, not there, not there, not there, not there. Mm-hmm. Perfect. We can move on to the next room. Now, mm-hmm. Tessa, let's talk about the actual process a little bit without getting too far into the weeds, because you have all these systems inside a house and all those systems, in, they exist inside a room. So yeah. basically got five sets of eyeballs moving around the room at any given time. But what... Tell me what you do first. I I know you go to the top, Mm -hmm. but when you enter a room, how do you check off all of the the necessary boxes before you leave and give it the thumbs up, thumbs sideways or the thumbs down? Well, I think this is where it's really important to have like a flow process that you follow and you stick to because if you start jumping around, it's really easy to get distracted and miss things. So we start, as we've mentioned, at the top of the house and we work our way down. And we also have a policy where you want to either start kind of on the left wall and work your way clockwise or start on the right and work your way counterclockwise. And it's just being Mm -hmm. systematic about how you go through each level of the house and really each room in the house too. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, just a quick overview. We'll start up on the top floor. And usually if there's like a, a big jacuzzi tub somewhere up there, that's a good place to start to get that thing going. Cause it takes a while to fill. And at that time, you know, start turning on the water in, in that bathroom, the owner's bathroom, if they have a shower and stuff too, and get that going. And then it's getting back on track and working your way from left to right and counterclockwise or, or clockwise through the rest of the upstairs, testing everything. Now, Tessa, and, th- this is all on process. Let me jump in. Yeah. You're filling that jacuzzi tub. You start filling it. You're done with the bathroom. Yeah. Do you leave the bathroom to inspect the master bedroom? Oh, wait, we're not supposed to say master anymore, are we? Oh, yeah, it's owners. Yep. The owner's suite. Yeah. Owner's suite. Yeah. I remember. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you go in to re- inspect the owner's. Do you leave the bathroom to inspect the owner's suite? 
That, you know what, that's my favorite answer. That depends. How oh, quickly God. is the tub filling, right? And can you, can you safely walk away from that tub? And we've talked on other podcasts about disaster stories there. Uh, with forgetting right. about the tub. Okay. All right, Tess, it's so, a quarter full. You're a quarter of the way up from the overflow. Took yes, five minutes I, to get there. Do you sit there and stare at it? No, I don't. I think I, well, initially when I was a new inspector, I did because I was so scared. But as I got more comfortable and I got my own process with it, I would say that I'd, I'd spend a majority of the time just in that bathroom, you know, checking the sinks, checking the drains, checking electrical outlets, toilets, showers, all of that ventilation, windows. And if the tub's still filling, then I might venture to the owner's bedroom, owner suite bedroom and start checking outlets and windows and all of that too. I don't know. How, how do you do it, Ruben? Well, I, I'm, I'm just asking. Uh, I, I, I leave. I do. You leave. I, I mm-hmm. can't sit there and watch it. I know I've shared on this podcast sometimes, well, at least one time where that got me in big trouble. I flooded a house because I realized it when I got to the basement that it was still running. Oh. That oh. was an insurance claim. Yep. <laughs> Never felt more incompetent in my life. Mm-hmm. But you know, you, you develop a process and you figure out what it's going to take to not let that happen again. One way would be yeah. to just simply not leave the room. I'm not yeah. going to do that. My method is I'll set a timer on my phone. I look at how fast it's going. How long has yeah. it been? And it's like, all right, set a timer for three minutes and then go back and check on it. All right, yeah. still not there. Set a timer for two minutes. Some other inspectors in our company use an alarm. They've got a little water alarm where they just, it's suction cups. They stick it on the side of the tub. And if water reaches this alarm, you're going to hear it anywhere you are in the house. It goes nuts. And Mm -hmm. I I think most of the time they probably get back to the tub before the alarm ever goes off, but it's just a fail safe Mm -hmm. just in case they forget. Yeah. You're going to have an alarm screaming at them. So I I think that's super smart. Yeah. That's a good trick, but I think it is fair to say whatever you're comfortable with as long as you're not gonna forget about it and there are some tubs where you can inspect like the entire upper level of a house and it's still filling when you're done yes so every tub else i flooded every tub are you filling every tub i mean really oh yeah so the all the way to the like a a full bathtub well here's the deal bill if it's a whirlpool tub we're gonna turn on those jets and you got to bury all the jets So absolutely. And you can't just bury them. You got to really bury them because if you're just above the surface, you might still have water splashing out. Rookie mistake for any new (laughs) home inspectors out there. Make sure those jets are pointed down. (laughs) (laughs) This would have been a helpful podcast for me when I started out. Yeah, I made a yeah. gigantic mess. And the jets were so dirty that it just sprayed like black goo everywhere. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah, that yeah. so, was a mess to clean up. But even if there's not a whirlpool, even if there's not a motor and, and it's just a traditional soaking tub, it's nice to make sure that that overflow doesn't leak. Not only that, but this is a good way of running a lot of water through the system. And if you've got a problem with the main building drain, it's probably going to evidence itself after that bathtub is done draining. You're going to have a floor drain that backs up. So it's mm-hmm. it's another way of really stress testing those main drain lines. Do you do the same with showers? Is there a, a set period of time you want to see those run? And it, does it vary depending on where they are in the house? 20 minutes. That's a magic number. If, well, if it's a traditional shower, no. But if it's a tiled shower, we'll run water for 20 minutes on cold to make sure that it's not leaking. And you're talking about a, a tiled pan, right? Oh, thank you. Yeah. Tiled shower base. Exactly. Yeah. Tiled pan. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. 
Okay, that's water. What else you got going on? I mean, you're just you're hitting all the systems kind of simultaneously in these rooms, right? Yeah, you are. I mean, you're you're checking all. I mean, at Structure Tech, we try to test every single outlet that we can get to. So we're, we've got outlet testers. We're checking GFCIs. We're checking all the windows that we can get to as well. You, you open know, every window? We do. So, I mean, I know that our standards of practice that we follow say a representative number, but we open every single window that we can get to and check every single outlet. Yeah, that we the can the standards are pretty weak. I mean, a representative number is defined as at least one in every room. It's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, we're not following the standard of practice. We're not, we're not doing the minimum there. That, that's for somebody who charges $200 in inspection. That's not us. <laughs> Do you have some opinions you care to share? <laughs> I just did. Okay. All right. No filter yeah. here, but yeah. So, I mean, I'd say that probably on the interior of the house, this is, you know, when you're checking bedrooms and you're checking just windows and doors and outlets, that's probably, I think most inspectors would agree. Like that's the easiest part of inspecting a house, right? Cause there's so much stuff to look at on the exterior. And when you get into the basement typically or a crawl space or an attic, but Going through the inside, you can, I feel like you can start to kind of cruise through a lot of these things. Are you kind of hopping on the floor in, to make sure it's solid or looking at walls to make sure there, you know, there's no obvious patches or something? Definitely. Yeah. Checking cracks, noting cracks and seeing if there's any other structural issues potentially going on to stains. If you've got stains on the ceiling, making note of that, documenting it and also trying to figure out what caused it too. We use an infrared camera to help us determine if something is currently wet or not. And so we do a scan with the IR camera before we start testing all the plumbing underneath kitchens and bathrooms to see if there's any, you know, signs of water leaks. And then we, we scan it again after we run all this water to see if it changes. Well, at least, at least we used to, when we were doing flood testing on shower bases, I don't know if, I don't know if we require people to scan below plumbing fixtures before testing them now. That's in our flow process. I'll have to All right, check, I'll but, shut up. I well, it may or may not be. The, that's what I get for being out of the field for a couple of years. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it is. And I mean, especially if we've got stuff like the Whirlpool jetted tubs, you know, we're, we're definitely, as soon as we turn that on, we're, we're checking the ceiling, scanning below with an infrared camera or anything that you, you visibly can't really inspect or see, you know, from an access panel. We're, we're getting our infrared cameras out and, and scanning that as quickly as we can. Yep. I always felt there was enough risk involved that the before was important because if somebody says, Hey, you missed my toilets leaking. It'd be nice to say, no, I didn't. Cause when I started, here's where it is. Clearly it was dry. The people have been living here using it. This must have happened afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. and even if you do your before your afters, it seems like just the I'm not saying you need this armor vest so people don't come back and get mad at you, Mm -hmm. but it's one of those things you can never go back in time and get. Mm -hmm. As long as you're there, it's nothing to do. And those infrared images have saved our butts many times where someone claimed that there was a leak and we've got infrared images showing, look, after all of our testing, it's dry. It's Mm time-stamped. This happened after our inspection. Well, and to that point, I think that's a good reason why we have a policy procedures and why we have this process that all of our inspectors follow, because if there are complaints, you know, we know what our inspector did and we have the data to back it up. Too. Yeah. 
Yeah, we can be totally confident and say, no, we know we checked that. We are consistent with every inspection. Is it fair to say you do the same thing in every room, bedrooms, you just don't worry about the plumbing and you just move through the house that exact same way? Open windows, test doors, yeah, all the systems. Yeah. Open, close doors, look for anything weird, right? You're always just keeping an eye open for something strange or out of place or you know, holes or cracks or something like that evidence of pests, evidence of mold, asbestos, stuff like that. So it is, it's keeping an eye open for those things, you know, smoke alarms, carbon monoxide alarms. Are you testing those or are you just looking for them? We're just looking for them. We do not press the test button. That can change at any time. And uh, we put a note in our report saying that these need to be tested monthly. And most of the time, we're recommending that they be replaced on top of it because we recommend photoelectric smoke alarms on every inspection when they're not present. And most houses don't have them. Odd question, but I want both of you to tell me how you approach this or if you use this tool. Do you employ your nose and report on unusual smells? Hmm. I have. I wouldn't say I do. Typically, when I smell something, I try to get to the root of what it is that I'm smelling and I report it with pictures. Odors are so subjective. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's pretty tough to report on that. I got to, I mean, it's got to be over the top to make it mm -hmm. into my report. I think that my response is similar to that. Usually I'll try and figure out where it's coming from or what's causing it. And usually you can figure that out. Is it sewer gas smell? Is it a, a funky crawl space where a cat has been using it as a litter box for 20 years? <laughs> you know, is it mold or, you know, something like that. Usually you can figure it out, gas leak. I think I did have one inspection though, where there was just this really bad funky smell and I could not find the source of it. And I did put it in the report. I don't know what was causing it, but maybe it was like dead mice in the wall or something. I, I thought of an exception to that, that I think we all report on regularly, which is a rotten egg odor in the hot water. Yes. That indicates a condition in the water heater. It's uh, like sulfur or something like that. And it, it, might be a, it might be a bacteria issue in the water heater or the sacrificial anode rod is completely gone that can lead to a, a rotten egg odor in the water. And it's not something we can take a picture of. It is like a punch in the face. It's quite obvious. And that is something that we report on regularly. You know, I can't think of ever smelling like a rotten egg odor from a house that had city water before. But if we're inspecting a house on well water, I've smelled that before. Sure. That, that could be a well condition too. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Some of the suburban water is a little challenging. It's a little irony. And is, do you know what, what is the root cause of that sulfur smell? Is it iron or? I think it's always bacteria. Oh, hmm. I don't think you want to drink bacteria. Doesn't gross. sound like healthy. No, gross. Yeah, I, I, uh, outside my pay grade. I don't know. One more reason to live in the congested urban core. <laughs> Convenient urban core. We get to drink the, the Mississippi, the muddy Mississippi. <laughs> it's nice and clean by the time yeah. it gets to the a lot of filtration. Yeah. You know, one thing we kind of skipped was just the attic inspection. I know we talked about attic access stuff, but when you come to the house, our inspectors can choose to either inspect the attic first, you know, when they head upstairs or they can wait and do it at the end. And so there's some different, depending on what the weather conditions are or what the inspector prefers, some do it at the beginning, some do it at the end. I'm pretty opinionated on that one. If it's a summer day, 
and it's a morning inspection, you do the attic first because it's going to be nasty by the time you get to noon or whatever it is. It's going to be really hot up there. So do it first if it's going to be a hot summer day. And otherwise you do it last because you got the potential to get dirty in there. And it's just nice when you leave the attic, if you're leaving the house, if that's like one of the last things you do, you can brush off outside. And if it's your second inspection of the day, you go home and take a shower when you're all done. Yep, definitely. Okay. Inside the house, bedrooms, rec rooms. That's what my dad used to go. Go to the rec room. So (laughs) living room, family room, bedrooms, those are easy. Bathrooms, you have to run some water. What are you doing in the kitchen? And and why are you doing what you're doing? Because there's the kitchen's a little more involved, right? Yeah, the kitchen's a little bit more involved. I mean, there's plumbing, there's appliances, there's electrical there. So all the basics with, you know, testing outlets, checking for GFCIs making sure light fixtures are grounded above sinks. And then we actually, we have a pretty detailed process for how we inspect permanently installed appliances as well. And the reason that we do that is because it seemed that, and Ruben, you can jump in here too, if you know, what was the percentage of complaints we would get about appliances? Out of the complaints that we would receive, about 10% of them were focused on appliances. Okay. Yep. Yeah. This isn't working. You, you inspected it. You didn't say anything. I just moved in and it's not working right. Or I've been here for two months and now it's leaking and you should have caught it during your inspection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A disproportionate number were about appliances. Yeah. Yeah. People have an expectation. Like if they're spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars to have their house inspected, they want to know if their clothes washer is working properly <laughs> or their dishwasher is working. And so we've put together this kind of appliance testing procedure for how we do that. And we basically, I mean, we will turn on the clothes washer, we'll throw in a towel, we'll make sure that it goes through a complete cycle, the water drains out of it. And we'll also test the dryer, turn it on, make sure it's able to dry the towel that we bring. And we'll do the same thing. We'll run the dishwasher uh, through a, at least a rinse cycle. We'll test microwaves, make sure they're heating up a glass of water or, you know, a wet paper towel document that. And then refrigerators, we'll take pictures with the infrared camera to make sure that we document that they're cooling the way that they should in freezers and check the ice and water if they have a built-in ice and water feature too. Yep. And then we take pictures of all these things to document it. Yes. Thank you. Doesn't necessarily go in the report. Right. Yeah. Those images. Yep. We have them on file. Do you care if appliances are really noisy? If it's making a weird noise, it sounds like it's not working right. I would definitely document that. But again, noises are subjective, right? Yeah, Tessa is telling you it depends. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one cool feature though with the report writing software we're using is it's really easy to take a video and put it into the report. So if something's making a weird noise, you can just record a few seconds of it and put it in the report so that the the client can hear it for themselves. I like that. Yeah. Because again, that's a, you can't go back in time. Right. And dishwashers have been known to be loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And garbage disposals too. We'll test those, run them, take a short video. So we've got it all documented. Gotcha. Okay. So we've cleared the top floor. Maybe you have six floors. I don't know. Now you're moving down, down, mm-hmm. down. Now we're in the basement. So what's extra and special about the basement that you have to do in this whole process? Look wow. for signs of basement water intrusion. Sorry, I <laughs> yes. couldn't help myself. Sorry, Tess. That is Ruben's specialty. Signs of moisture. I was going to add one more thing quick to fireplaces. If people have fireplaces or wood-burning fireplaces, 
or gas fireplaces, those are something we definitely check. And with a gas fireplace, we've got a, a process for testing those as well. And we'll let those run for, depending on what type of fireplace they are, 15 minutes to 45 minutes before we actually test and make sure they're not leaking carbon monoxide or, or gases back into the house too. Yeah. And those are not our numbers. Those are standards developed by, who is it? CSA or UL or some standard I, I don't know where it comes from. I don't remember, but it's like, if you have a gas fireplace leaking exhaust gas and it has not run for at least 15 minutes, your findings are worthless. It needs to run for at least that long before you can test it. And, and it depends on which standard it's built to. So like Tessa said, either 15 or 45 minutes, that is a standard. It was not established by us. Yeah. And I was going to say too, with, with new construction houses, we can't do that test on gas fireplaces because they need to run for, what is it, eight hours minimum? That's right. Yep. Before we can do that test to burn off all the chemicals, I think, or what's the reason behind that? I've never gotten a clear answer. Okay. I don't know why. We don't know why. We just know we can't get an accurate test if we turn it on and it hasn't run for at least eight hours. Yep. So the new construction, all we do is verify that it works and that's it. It likely has a warranty if it's not working, right? I should hope so. You've been in some big houses where there's multiple gas burning fireplaces. I mean, that seems very time consuming to crank all these things up, let them run for anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes. What's guiding you on 15 to 45? Is it a is it something on the inside that says I'm special? I have to run for 45? <laughs> yeah. And now that you asked, I'm picturing the standard. I said UL or CSA. It's not either one of those. It's ANSI. ANSI. Yeah. yeah. And there's two ANSI standards that fireplaces are built to. I don't remember them off the top of my head. I want to say it's like 2180 and 2150. 50. Yes. I think that's, that's correct, Ruben. Okay. Yeah. Which so, one is the 15 minutes and which one is the 45? I can't remember. I don't remember either. And I know but... there's a handful of people on our team who don't want to have to remember. <laughs> they always run them for at least 45 minutes. Yes. I was going to say, that's just what I do. It makes it simple. You, yep. you just run it for 45 minutes. And usually what I'll do is I'll just on the initial quick walkthrough as I'm turning on lights and turning on fans and waking everything up and just getting the initial inventory, I'll flip on those gas fireplaces so that when I finish up the roof and the exterior, I come back inside. Now I can test those things and they've been running for 45 minutes and then turn them off. Yep. It's good. Yeah. Okay. Especially if it's summertime, you don't want it running any longer than you, than it has to. Yes. Those do kick out some heat for sure. Yeah. Sorry, Bill. I, I pulled us back up to like a main floor situation, but we were heading down to the basement. All right. I want to know how much are, are you employing your nose again in the basement? Do you have a smell test when you walk into the basement? Oh, definitely. Ruben, yeah, you're shaking your head. Definitely. That yes. is, I think like your nose is one of your most powerful assets as a home inspector. And it, it will cue you to so many potential problems, especially in basements. I see Ruben sniffing around the outside edge of a house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I use my nose a lot, man. Getting down on those outside walls and the suspect areas, putting your nose close to the carpet, smelling for <laughs> what might be mold. Absolutely. We yeah. A lot. I, you know, well, probably you try to do that when your client's not looking because you look downright goofy. <laughs> doesn't mean we don't do it. Well, and gas leaks too. It's a, I mean, we have tools that can check for potential gas leaks, gas sniffers, but personally, I just like to use my nose. I mean, I, I've got a really sensitive nose, so I'll, I'll just put my nose close to all the, the gas manifolds and, and gas lines that are accessible and just take a whiff. <laughs> yep. It works just as good as a gas sniffer. It just doesn't look as cool. 
That's all. <laughs> yeah. But if you're someone who doesn't have a strong sense of smell, I would suggest that you definitely use like a gas sniffer or something like that. Your punch list is quite a bit longer in the basement though. Yeah. Off the top of your head, how many components do you think you're actually looking at when you get into the basement of a house in Minnesota? 973. Okay. I like that. <laughs> no, I... <laughs> There's a lot. I mean, the, the high level is looking at the heating plant, whether it's a furnace or a boiler, looking at the air conditioner, at least the, the part of it that sits inside the house, the water heater, the electrical panel, the framing and structure in the accessible unfinished areas. And what did I miss, Tess? Did I miss any well, others? Yeah, just foundation issues potentially too. I guess that falls into structure and plumbing, any plumbing that's visible, any gas lines that are visible, and signs of moisture or environmental problems too. I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but like floor drains and making sure you're not having any signs of water backing up and that they've got their clean out plugs installed. And there's, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of everything, plumbing, electrical, structure, environmental, HVAC. Yeah. And, and once you're down to those nitty gritty details, I, I can't really think of any reason why you would inspect one before the next one. I can't really think of why the process yeah. for those would change all that dramatically, which of course is the focus of this show is, is process. With the exception of the electrical panel, I, I guess one thing, I don't remember if we touched on this in a previous podcast or not, but what we're doing at the beginning of the house, like Tessa explained, waking the house up is we're turning on all the fans, all the lights. We're running a big load on the electrical panel. We're turning everything on. And that is something we do at the beginning is we take an infrared image of the panel so that if there's any breakers that are really hot, we'll document it and we'll try to figure out why it is. I remember a new construction house I was inspecting where they had changed one of the bathroom fans to a fan that had a heater built in and it was drawing way too much load. It was drawing mm -hmm. like 22 amps on a 20 amp circuit. And if you know your electrical, you know that you can't have a continuous load that exceeds 80% of that circuit breaker. So if it's a 20 amp breaker, 20% of that would have been 16 amps. I mean, that's the max you should have on it. So this was a wiring issue and the infrared camera alerted us to it. There's no Did way we would have figured that out without an infrared camera. The breaker didn't trip? No, it didn't. I mean, when you're only two amps over the, the 20 amp threshold, it's gotta, it's gotta be that way for a long time before that breaker okay. trips. You know, I had a similar situation with a, with a dryer, I think electrical clothes dryer that he, the wires were overheating and were melted. But I, I wanted to ask you, can you do that scan of the main panel with the actual panel cover still on it? Or do you need to take the panel cover off? It, you can still scan the circuit breakers. And if you got a hot mm -hmm. breaker, that's going to indicate an overloaded condition. Now, it's, it's not going to show you hot wires. That will be too much low, but that'll be a hot wire and a hot breaker. But more often, a hot wire is going to indicate a, a poor connection between the wire and the breaker. Or an undersized wire, potentially, too. But then the breaker uh, would trip. Uh, uh, no. No. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> Sorry. I corrected that myself. <laughs> Okay, okay you, because, as you to argue about that, what, what's the why behind that? If you've got an undersized wire going to a breaker, then that breaker is not going to trip. So Yeah, the uh, breaker doesn't know what size wire you got. Right. So uh, an undersized wire is dangerous because of that. It can overheat and start a fire and the breaker will not trip. Okay. And all of this can be discerned after waking up the house and be, you being in there for two hours and 
Yeah, or is well, it is that your best attempt hours. at collecting this information? Yeah, not every time. I'm sure there's been plenty of houses where they have stuff that was technically overloaded and I never found it, but we're doing the best we possibly can to identify this stuff. Do you have any hacks that you can share with people? I have one off the top of my head that I, I remember Ruben talking about, but specific to old houses with big stacks and elbows on the stack. Oh, you're talking about the, the oh yeah, the, the plumbing line. Share, yeah. share away, Bill. Well, I'll, I'll see if I can explain Professor Rubin's teaching. But <laughs> the stack is also the vent pipe. And on these old houses, the stacks are made out of usually cast iron. That's right. And then so if, if it's coming straight up and then it turns at like a 90 at the floor to go wherever, sometimes that 90 degree elbow will actually rot out and it rots on the top of the pipe not the bottom of the pipe. Yep. Is that correct? That's right. And you can just like sometimes just literally feel the crack or pick a piece of that entire pipe up and be like, this is broken. Yeah. And it's usually so high that you don't see it. It's like, you got to put your hand along the top of it to, to identify this. That's a advanced <laughs> home inspection move right there, Bill. There we go. Yeah, definitely advanced level. I remember one house I was in, in a basement and this, you didn't need to be advanced to understand that this probably wasn't a good idea. There was so much pressure on this sewer line. And I don't know why that would be, but if you, there was no plug, it was just wide open. There was no, nothing. It was just a sewer line. If you put like a piece of paper over, it would literally like lift it two feet off the ground and just blow it away. It was, it, and this was a house on the uh, kind of Southwest side of St. Paul, sort of in the, there's a bunch of caves and things over in that area. And I have no idea why there was so much pressure on that sewer line, but it was, it was really pretty amazing. Interesting. You know, I was just thinking about another, another category that we didn't even talk about. And technically it is something that we do not need to really report on or inspect, but I think it's something that clients these days expect it's comfort. And I've had clients in the past that, you know, have complained about certain rooms being much colder in the winter or hotter in the summer. And so one of the things that we're doing as we're going through this house too, is just you know, we, we test the furnace, we test the AC, if the house has that and make sure each room is getting, you know, adequate. Well, not, I shouldn't say adequate has some sort of, you know, heating, cooling system for that space as well. And if it doesn't, or I would say if you've got a room that's like a cantilever, right. And there's no condition space below it, that's going to cause potential comfort issues or over a crawl space. That's not conditioned that can cause comfort issues too. And so a lot of times I'll you know, if I'm seeing a house where I can, I can discern that there's going to be potential variations in temperature, then I'll talk to a client about that too, especially if it's a concern of theirs and they've brought it up. And Tess, to, to touch on that, something, one other process thing that we have is we want all of our inspectors to finish the inspection by sweeping the house with their infrared camera, check yeah. every one of the rooms, every heat source or cooling mm -hmm. source, mm -hmm. and make sure that it's hot. Or if you're running the AC, make sure that it's cold. Make sure mm -hmm. that you're checking every room with your infrared camera. It's a quick way to do it. And that's the same time that you go around and you shut the lights off. Yes. And, and possibly scan below plumbing fixtures one more time while you're doing mm -hmm. it all. That whole process probably takes five to 10 minutes total. And it can it can identify a lot of problems and eliminate a lot of complaints. Because if you leave a yeah. light on, you better believe the seller is going to be furious about <laughs> the thousands of dollars that you're costing them in electricity for 
a light bulb <laughs> being on for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> well, and actually one thing too, to add to that is we'll, we'll take pictures with our 360 cameras as we go through as well, each room just to document the house as we leave it. Some people take them at the beginning. Personally, I like to take them at the end. Again, it's more of kind of a protection for us as a home inspector to say, this is how we left the house. Gotcha. And just in case anybody doesn't know, it's a camera that takes a 360 degree image. It's a special camera. You hold it over your head, you Mm -hmm. click it, and it captures the entire room in one shot. So we've got every surface of every room photographed at every inspection. There it is. That's a wrap. That's a complete structure tech home inspection from the getting out of your vehicle to closing <laughs> the front door. That's it. We well, right. that's the technical side. We I mean, we didn't even get into what we communicate with clients and how that works too, but that can be another episode. That could be 40 episodes. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you do, you start dissecting all of this and it it takes a while to, to do it. I mean, the how, the why, the what. There's, there's more here. I'm always amazed when we start talking about these things like process, it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And we, you know what? Congratulations to us. We stayed pretty high level today, didn't we? Yeah, not bad, Ruben. No tangents. It was kind of, not a lot. We, we, I, I, we had a couple, little bit, but not much. I think we did pretty good. <laughs> I left my buzzer downstairs too. I was going to, I was going <laughs> to buzz you when you started talking too long about something specific. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe jacuzzi tubs. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> All right. So Ruben's writing the test right now. After you get done with the three episodes of the process, you can ask him through email to take the test and he will, he will send you some gold star if you pass. <laughs> All right. You know, you notice how I just slipped some extra work for you in there, Ruben? I, I appreciate it, Bill. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> I will be sure to forward those emails to you. all right anyway thank you everybody for tuning in it's it's always fun just to kind of hash this process over there's a lot that went into it a lot of pain but also a lot of learning so Mm -hmm. thank you very much you've been listening to structure talk a structure tech presentation my name is bill ulrich as always i'm with tessa murray and ruben saltzman and we will catch you next time thanks for listening For more information on how we can provide you with the right information about your home before you buy or sell, contact us at StructureTech.com.